Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, how many points do you think are enough? Enough so that you can beat the other team. That is true. How about with wine? Would you buy a wine that scored 107 points? Uh, out of how many? A thousand? <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. Well, never mind the 100-point scale. That's so last century. Oh, good. Somebody is proposing the thousand-point scale, and they are apparently serious. Right. Like, they can tell the difference. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, and also today we have listener questions about vineyards and wines for a party. Our horrible wine writing is threadbare. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be good. And as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs uh, on any point scale. But it's back to that 1,000-point scale. Yeah. Even talking about it is probably giving it more credibility than it deserves or will ever get. But since we have no credibility, I figure what the What heck. have we got to lose? Yeah. Uh, the so, worst we could lose is a, a few points, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And if it's on 1,000, what does it matter, right? <laughs> that's right. Who cares? <laughs> so here's the basic. Here's the background on this thing. It's okay. from something called Wine Lister. The, it's a woman named Lister. She was uh, oh, a, okay. uh, she's a, invest, a former investment banker. Uh-huh. Yeah, of course. And this so is, she's this an is how they describe the system. It's data and technology driven and aims to give a truer, holistic assessment of each wine based on aggregated scores from eminent critics, as well as its brand strength, liquidity, and price, all presented and together amalgamated, that's me, on a 1,000-point square. So so now 100 points is nothing. Now you need 996. I know, but think how easy it would be to get a a 90-point wine now. (laughs) It's right. Yeah, you you can get the bottle open, you're a 90-point wine. Well, the the woman who is uh, heading this writes for one of the— one of those wine uh, online wine magazines and is apparently not crazy, well, at least apparently. And I don't also, know. Judging from the evidence I've seen so far, yeah, I think that's yeah, a debatable yes. point. Um, it's, she's also a former investment banker. And so— So uh, wait a minute, Rick. This is a, it's maybe more about investment value than it is anything. Well, if that's the case, then I can at least see why you want to include all this other stuff. But, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't round down to 100 or even round down to 10. And make it simpler. The idea that there are differences, sub- substantive differences for anything, whether it be wine or SAT scores, between, say, 837 and 838, I'm going to say, to quote the boys on bottle to- on, on Car Talk, bogus. Oh, I'm getting an 838 wine for sure. <laughs> it's just going to taste so much better. <laughs> yeah. It'll be one one-thousandth better. Well, or you get a 737 wine, and it's the wine they serve on the airplane. R, R, R. So now you got to measure wine numbers to you. Yeah. The, uh, well, here's one of the things that they that – the reason why they say this is so uh, innovative – is yeah, that because they added a zero? Yes. Well, they say even more is that they're going to use the entire scale, not just the top twenty uh-huh. percent. 
and and this is true. Robert Parker, who is you know one of the guys at the forefront of the hundred point scale, well, he created it, really. Yeah, and he said you know his starts his it's like it's a grade school scale, so it starts at fifty really. Right. And he rarely writes about wines below, below about eighty five. Yeah, because yeah, so it's a fifteen what's point the point? scale. Right. Although it always reminds me of a friend of mine who teaches at the at Napa College who always said, told the story of the student who came in and said, "I don't really thought I got the." grade I deserved in this class. And he says, yes, but F is unfortunately the lowest grade we're allowed to give. <laughs> well, now apparently it can go lower. Now you can get right down to zero, huh? So so what is an, in a thousand point scale, what does a 73 point wine look like? 730 points? No, no. I mean, 73 I mean, is, out of 1,000. Oh, what is it? Seven, I mean, Rick, three? you brought this up. I want an answer to this question. What is a 73-point wine? What is a 73-point wine, point how, how, wine out of 1,000? It's, uh, it's a, it's a uh, 1927 Chardonnay that's been sitting in a tub. Because <laughs> I can't imagine how I you could know. get a wine that would score that low considering these things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, are they really going to use the bottom half of the scale? The well, bottom I want to. I yeah. mean, w- if someone gave said, "I've got a thousand point scale. We've rated all these wines, and here's a wine that got thirty six points out of that." Wouldn't you at least want to try that wine? I would. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> That's like it's. It reminds me of when I was in grade school and we made, we made cheese, <laughs> and it was so bad we had to keep going back to taste it <laughs> to, to remember to how really, bad it was. Really remind yourself of how bad this <laughs> yes. really was. Yes. So if anybody is ever invited to my house, don't eat the cheese. <laughs> but the uh, yeah, and so uh, you know there this. What this really is, like with so many other things, in in an era of both technology and 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 flash marketing, which is it's just a reach. It's a reach for a, a slice of the market. They added a zero. They added a zero. That's funny what it zero. is. But they're putting in brand strength, and so, so you know, as an as an investment person, okay, but it's still, um, yeah, it's, you know, right, right. Uh, the, okay, so so I got I got my you know your scale. You would be your scale, scale, Paul. I have a simple scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's only three categories in my scale. Number one is, would I buy this wine? Number two is, would I drink it if somebody gave it to me? And number three is, I wouldn't drink it at all. Well, you have, you, there's a fourth. W- yeah. w- would you let Rick drink it? Because that's the <laughs> lowest level. <laughs> no, because all wine falls into that category. Well, all wine. Rick will drink anything. I'm so. drink, well, I'm drinking that 73-pointer on the scale, so, <laughs> so I'm sorry. Well, Although, the, to be fair, in the wine competitions I judge, there is a separate category called NIM, not in mouth. Ah. You smell it, and it smells so bad that you think, you know what? Just life is too short. Not putting that one in my mouth. Yes, yes. No, I've, I've had a few of those, actually. I gave them a second try to make sure they were that bad. <laughs> no. So, I, one, you know, I was, this is, the, 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 the silliness of this fascinated me. So I was sort of looking at, uh, I was Googling responses to this to see what other people were saying uh-huh, about uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. And there were a couple of, you know, really eye-rolling responses um, of of competing, if they're going to have different scales, these people wanted different scales too. Okay. One rather than a thousand points, they wanted it across dimensions. They wanted multi-dimensional, like three-dimensional scales. chess on Star Trek, or maybe five or six dimensions. You know, uh-huh. they're making up sense. Another uh, going into the world of uh, physics and string theory is a multi-universe. Oh, we need DeGrasse Tyson in here to explain the rating. Yes, system. and then somebody else also suggested a number scale that was infinite. <laughs> 
<laughs> so so they just keep getting better. Or And your numbers never mean anything. <laughs> and then my favorite uh, was a binary scale, which is it's either zeros or ones. Well, some, that's so my some system. combinations of zeros and ones. My system is a zero is no, yeah. and a one is yes, yes, and we're safe. Now, And we're making fun of this, Paul, but they say it's a sophisticated system rating sophisticated wines for an increasingly sophisticated audience. Well, that which, is clearly not us. That's why we don't understand it. Because <laughs> that is, that is, this system is not for us. All right. Well, uh, we will uh, toss a little unsophistication your way because we were about to take some questions. If you'd like to ask us a question and you're not on our website, go there. It's rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. If you are on our website, why haven't you asked us a question? We will we will be nice to you and make fun of ourselves or wine stops. All right, so our first comes from Liz in San Jose. Mm-hmm. She says, almost every time I read a review in the paper about a wine that critics like, they say it has good acidity or something like that. Yeah. Why, why is that good? I don't want to drink lemon juice. Yeah, well, you are drinking lemon juice if you're drinking wine because actually the pH, which is the measure of acidity in in most things, um, is uh, very similar to lemon juice. So why are they saying that is that a lot of people who drink a lot of wine, winemakers, wine critics, etc., particularly like slightly higher acid levels than the average consumer. The average consumer often says what they want their wine to be is smooth. smooth. And the average sommelier will tell you what they want the wine to be is crisp and lively. Those are not the same as smooth. We had a show not so long ago, by the way, where a knuckleheaded writer was talking to knucklehead sommeliers who said they didn't understand what smooth what people meant. meant when they said smooth. Or actually that people didn't understand what they meant when well, they said Well, that's what they said, yeah. yeah. And we said, yeah, they did. They meant the wine was smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I, have a, I have a confession to make, Liz. I like acidity in wine. So my guess is that if you and I sat down with a stack of lemons and some sugar and some water and we would each decided to make lemonade, my lemonade would probably have a little less sugar than your lemonade. And in that case, when the writer says it has good acidity, I'm going to say, ooh, I'll probably like it. You, on the other hand, if you don't like that less sweet lemonade, read that review, and the critic has done you a real favor. It's pointed out that this is a wine that you probably aren't going to like because good acidity for the writer probably means a little tart and less pleasant to you. Yeah, or, or at least it's going to have more of a, a sort of a bite to it in, right. in, in, on the tongue. But 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 don't shy away from acidity in wine entirely. Think about the difference between like orange Kool-Aid and orange juice. Right. Orange juice has acid, and you know that because if you brush your teeth and drink your orange juice, you— aye, aye, aye. Yeah. And so so what acid does to a liquid is it gives it sort of barriers. It, it, it holds it together. The worst version of non-acid would be like fruit cocktail juice, you know, where it's really <laughs> cloying and, that, and right. you don't want it How anymore. How much of that can you drink? Right. And so acidity is not—it's not just going to make it too acid. Now, it's—but what it won't be is— it's not going to be like just even when they say it's a good acidity, it's not going to be the sour wine. It just may be something you don't like, but it isn't necessarily going to be something you don't like. Well, and I would also encourage you to think of wine with food differently than wine just drinking as a cocktail. As a cocktail, I think most people would say they would prefer a wine that's a little smoother. But when you think about ordering a plate of calamari, that plate of calamari comes with a slice of lemon on the side. 
Why? Because the calamari can be a little heavy and a little oily unless you give it a little juice, a little acidity. And if you're drinking this wine with a fish dish... Or that, something, anything salty. That yeah. that crispiness, that, that acidity is actually going to make the food and the wine both taste better. So long answer to a simple question... Well, I should well, it's say a, good a question. short question. Yeah, but, but it's, not a, a, it's a very question. complicated and a very good question. And and so I would know, rate this question nine hundred and thirty-two points. I was giving it nine thirty-one. So you, well, yeah, Sam, yeah. I'm but you know why? Because I was I was thinking about brand strength. <laughs> um, the, uh, well, and the other thing, and this is actually the complicated thing, Liz. And if you're in San Jose and you're reading the papers down there, then you may have one or two critics that you read regularly. And the problem is, is that with different critics, they need different things. It's just like a movie critic. Where, sure. You know, and, sure. Um, and so what you kind of need to know is now what each critic means by a good acidity. Well, and some, in fact, some will have different levels of that. To that point, Laurie Daniel, who's a friend of mine who writes for the, for the San Jose paper, I know for a fact because she and I share similar taste profiles that she prefers wines that have a little brighter acidity than than some other folks. So it's not surprising that this might come from her. Yeah, and uh, if she's a friend of Paul's, she's lost a little credibility, but I know that she's actually a very good uh, <laughs> critic too as well. Um, all right, so I hope that's a little bit helpful. Good uh, question. That's right. fun. This is from Haley in, in Walnut Creek. Mm-hmm. We're planning a big casual party. It's going to be a part afternoon backyard party, and then we'll all eventually have a casual dinner. Sounds like fun. Can we come? Yes, we can. Can we come? She says, can you suggest a couple a couple of wines that will be good for all that? I, I should say we're expecting a good crowd, so not a good size crowd, so not too expensive, please. Wow. Well, and really interesting thing here because you're really talking about sort of two scenarios. One of them is possibly warm outside, possibly in the sun. And you might want to start with some lighter, fresher white wines. Yeah, and I, I, I have a, I have a, I, I know where you're hands, going with this. Hands down, I'm going winter, with yeah. prosecco and, yeah, and yeah. bubbly yep, for the bubbly. outside. But that will also handle it, depending if the dinner's casual. Bubbly is great with food too. Well, but then you tell people to come inside, leave the bubbly right. out because the party's over, and now we're going to start drinking, and then you have the table wines as well. well it sounds like they're partying wine. This sounds like a good pint. Yeah, so have a s- casual all, dinner. I'm thinking they're still having fun. The, the good news is that something like Prosecco is not horrifically expensive, although very good ones can cost you more money. But you can get decent Prosecco for not very much money. Um, the other thing, she lives in Walnut Creek. So... While uh, she has wine country not too far away, and I think it would be fun for her to go out and, for example, talk, taste some of the interesting wines they have both in Lodi and Livermore um, and make it part of a wine tasting. Maybe even do outside Lodi, inside Livermore or something like that and give her her guests a chance to taste wines from different regions Ooh, as part of the party. Uh, Paul's putting uh, Paul's you know, putting some uh, put, some uh, structure to your party. I'm putting some fun I, into it. I'm going to go a little uh, slightly different direction. Um, I, which and I, I you know we both went with the with the uh, sparkling and for afternoon you know you, you got to be thinking whites in generally but you but some people like to drink red because as we discussed in a previous show <laughs> the only real wine is, is red, red wine, wine for That's some right. jerks but there's but some folks would like reds and i think for a good afternoon um, there is your friend Val Policella, which is an italian wine and, yes. and it can be inexpensive and also pinot noir i think is a yep. is a nice outdoor wine um, and it, it pinot you know, if you leave that bottle in the fridge for 20 minutes before you open it, it's a really it's at the right temperature for Pinot too. So, yep. um, that wine can also transfer it to dinner. 
Yep. Um, and then and as you but you're but you're looking to be able to to you know basically satisfy a large group of people is so you don't want the higher there are some decent wines out there and you know you get, I would I would suggest and and I. I, I it's going to sound a little self-promoting because I work with a couple of these wineries, but they're examples of people who do this well. Look for some of the older, more established brands in California. You know, Wente makes a Chardonnay called something like Morning Fog that sells for about 12 bucks. It's a really good bottle of Chardonnay. Parducci up in Mendocino makes a, a couple of different wines uh, under their label that are, you know, there's a good Cabernet, uh, there's a Petite Syrah. Um, look at some of these that may not be the trendiest brands of, you know, from the Napa Valley at $75 a bottle, but these people have been making wine a long time. Look at the Sierra Foothills. Yeah. There are some interesting wines up there, particularly, I think, more reds than whites. Um, but have some but, fun uh, with it. And then the other... Well, the, with Foothills are great because you're actually exactly where I was going to go for the dinner yep. for a wine that transfers is the, both the Zins and Lodi and the Foothills, but also Barbera, yep. which is a good food-friendly wine. But it's also the coming out of the Foothills, it's just a very easy drinking. It, they they're, they're, they have a, a richness to them that come out of the Foothills. So they're, somebody's, you know wants that wine, they're sitting there sipping that, and then they go to dinner or sit down the table, or I don't yep. know if you're serving a buffet, whatever it is. Right. That wine will, will carry over as well. So those are yeah. those are all good examples. And and one other thing that I would recommend that I think is all sorts of fun at a party like this, which is go to a big wine retailer, a Bevmo, a Total Wine, a K and L, something like that, and buy fifteen dollars, fifteen bottles of wine for ten dollars or less from different parts of the world. Just try all sorts of weird stuff. Put them all out on the table and let people just explore a bunch of stuff that they probably wouldn't try. It's lots of fun. And isn't that what a party's supposed to be about? It's fun. Well, that's true. Uh, if you want to go through that kind of effort, but I actually, no, it's it's actually that's a very it's good idea, fun. and it's fun, and that's a good that's a good opportunity um, for that too. If you so you can get a couple of things you and make sure you get a couple of things you like. Always, this is always important too. This is the if Richard you, Nixon technique. Richard Nixon always used to serve his guests, but he always had a special bottle wrapped in a towel next to him, and that was the special uh, wine he liked, and nobody else got to drink that wine. Yes, but don't wear black shoes on the beach for this party. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I hope that's some help, Haley. Um, and if, uh, if you you can find us at rickandpaulwine.com if you'd like to shoot us an invitation. <laughs> that's right. We'll be there. And uh, you know what? I, I promise you this. If we're invited, we'll bring a bottle. We, we promise. Um, all right. Well, that's for, and, and for, we promise, as you have requested, it won't be too expensive because <laughs> well, we're cheap. <laughs> all right, and uh, we're ending questions for now uh, since we've trying to wangle in your party. We will have more questions just a bit. Maybe we can wangle into somebody else's party. But coming right up, we've got some really horrible wine writing. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. That is really horrible wine writing music. Yes, it is. It's pretty horrible Maybe music. Maybe <laughs> if they listened to this music as they wrote, that would... I think they do. Uh, I think that's why that's we get the stuff we're getting. <laughs> could explain a few of these things for sure. All right, Paul, you have... So uh, I have, have a, a tendency a... to focus on the short phrase, whereas you like to go into the long, extensive reviews. So yes. I have a short phrase I'm, I'm that a is... deep thinker, Paul. <laughs> You're a deep thinker, yeah. Um, deep in a lot of things. <laughs> um, I have... I have one that always struck me as being sort of entertaining, which is threadbare tannins. I, I don't know what that means. I don't either. It sounds to me like the tannins are wearing through at the elbow, but I don't know what that means either. Maybe the cupboard's bare where the 
tannins are Does it mean dry. the wine is thin and the tannins are showing through? Does it mean that the, the tannins t- are almost not there? In which case, why even talk about them? Why call them threadbare? Why not just say they're very soft and delicate and not there? Uh, what does threadbare mean? I don't even know what threadbare means away from tannins. Oh, I do. It means it's sort of wo- worn. A, a yeah. woven material yeah. where it's worn so much that you start seeing the individual so threads. The, so the tannins are worn out. Maybe the tannins... Maybe the tannins are worn... Maybe they're just tired. Yeah, it could be. They've, you know, they've been... Why don't they just say tired tannins? They've been, they've been down on their knees a lot, and now they've, <laughs> you know, it's just they've worn through. It's, yeah, kind of like you after a run, you know, <laughs> just you a go. little stiff and sore. I'm wheezing right in the middle of the run usually is what I'm doing. <laughs> then, then, I, then I walk around stiff. So threadbare tannins. Got me. Yeah, all right. I know, and it's it is uh, it's a phrase. Unfortunately, we do see a lot too. Okay, now you, as usual, have a longer it wasn't and more that long. Okay, fine. But this is uh, this was uh, from a winery. Oh, good. So this is the winery talking about its own wine. Yes, this wants you. This winery Got wants it. you to buy their wine. Yeah. So the wine name removed, so we won't get sued, of course, embodies the character of California's most notable coastal wine regions. The individual characteristics of each vineyard combine in one blend to enhance the wine name's broad flavor profile and allow a consistently crafted, balanced wine bursting with aromatics, mouthfeel, and depth of flavor. Okay. So it's a blend. So, and what does that wine taste like? It's a blend. It's... It's 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 see, a plat- is, it's a blend of platitudes. See, re- re- this is why my system is easier. You just pick a few words. I can summarize this in three words. It's a blend. I, I love <laughs> I love the the individual characteristics characteristics of each vineyard combined in one blend to enhance the wine's broad flavor profile and allow a consistently crafted balanced wine bursting with aromatics, mouthfeel, and depth of flavor. Here, That's like everything that you're supposed to say about a wine without actually ever saying anything actually, about the and wine. identifying anything in the wine. And yeah. then the other part I like is that it's it embodies the character of California's most notable coastal wine regions, none of which are noted. Yes. So they may be notable, but they ain't noted. So all that means is it comes from... It doesn't some... necessarily comes from them. It just said it embodies the character of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if it does come from California's most notable coastal wine regions, that's what anywhere uh, within 100 miles of 1,000 miles of coastline, that really narrows it down. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. True. Well, and so this so was, why talk about it well, that way? So here's the, the kicker. This was a winery's marketing pitch. Yes. A wine blogger put it on the wine blogger's website as if the wine blogger wrote it. Ooh, so not only was it the marketing pitch, but then the blogger rewrote it. And didn't said, say, yes, this I is... said this. It said, it's, this is, you know, the X wine name removed so we won't get sued. Wow. And this is the description. So you've got a combination of bad wine writing and lazy blogger all in one entry. That's right. That's in, that, in which case, it is well worth the 36 words I or was, however many this is. I, you got, you, I would give this thousands of points. This is, I, I was, well, I was, I was at 922 <laughs> on this. Yeah, so, uh, whereas, but these, or maybe it's just a threadbare description. All right. <laughs> well, before we uh, threadbare our way into uh, silliness, let's go back and take a couple of questions while we can. Good. All right. Uh, so, uh, this one is from Henry Taylor in Vacuum. He says, I'm always seeing writers and wine people talk about the vineyards that wines come from, as if that's supposed to help me. I'm barely learning the grapes. How am I supposed to remember the vineyards and, and know what they do? Great question, and there is no answer for there this. There is no answer. You're not? No, you're not. Nobody does. No. I mean, the, and one of the reasons that wineries put the vineyard on the label, there, there are generally—well, there, there's generally one so reason. So they won't sound threadbare. 
<laughs> no, so that the wine sounds as if it were very, very carefully selected and exclusive. Now, a lot of vineyard owners, particularly vineyard owners who want to get paid a lot of money for their grapes, frequently write into their contract that they want the name of their vineyard on the bottle if that wine is bottled separately because they ultimately want to become recognized as a source of good grapes. I understand all of that, but does it help the consumer? Usually not. Yeah. And there are, look, there are some good vineyards out there whose names come up over and over. Oh, sure. And, and that means the wines are probably going to be better than, sure. but you don't, but are you expected to know what the difference is between them and, and what you right. get from them? And, right. and it, you're not. Right. Even you know, it's silly. Even in the Napa Valley, where a grape grower like Andy Beckstoffer has some of the most legendary vineyards in Napa, and he always wants his vineyard name on the label. Mm-hmm. But to ask consumers to distinguish means, between right. the Tokalon and the this and the that, uh, they can't do it. I mean, yeah. I, most people can't do it. Right. It's, and, it's and, nice and to know that you that the vine, the grapes come from a really cool vineyard. But are you supposed to know how the wine tastes? No. Yeah, and and what it also means is the the price went up ten bucks. Oh, if, if uh, yeah, at if least. You're no, lucky, I'm just saying, yeah, the, the vineyard name on there. What it does mean, though, often if the vineyard name is on the wine, it does mean that it's it's probably a smaller production wine, a wine that they think well of, that they right. they put some care into. Which means it is going to cost. more It's going to cost you more, but it's probably yeah. going to be one of their yeah. higher, but, but better wines as, as they as they see it. Yeah. On the other hand. Some of the most famous and best wines in the world are blends of vineyards. Oh, yeah. And, for example, Dom Perignon is, doesn't come from a single vineyard. It comes from a blend of vineyards well, all and, over Champagne. And there are wines that make that winery choice. I mean, ZD Chardonnay, which is a $30 and terrific Chardonnay, their their appellation is California because right. they choose to make wines from a, a yep. handful of places to get what yep. they want. Yep. So this is all kinds of – there's all, all, all sorts of reasons, but – in short, Henry, don't even try not to worry about it. Unless the vineyard name happens to be, say, Rick Cushman Vineyard. Oh, then you know it's good. Well, if the vineyard, if you happen to share the name with the vineyard, you can give that wine as gifts and people will think you made it. Well, if you happen to share the name Rick Cushman, let me know uh, <laughs> because you, you've got you some, might be family. Because you've got some credit card bills you'd like uh, to yes. explain. <laughs> yeah, it could be. That, well, that could explain something, too. All right. Well, that's about all I can explain. Uh, hard to explain us, but that is another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Matt Bassi. Thank you, Thank Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question, you know you can at our website, rickandpaulwine.com, if you're not there already. If you are there, just go ahead and ask us a question. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's, if you don't get a good enough grade, make up a new rating system. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm a thousand points, Paul Wagner. <laughs> he is. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us and over a thousand points. 